Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. This is Jonathan Kay, hosting from Toronto. Among conservatives who attack the ideological excesses of the modern academy, one popular assumption is that our English-language universities have been taken over by postmodern French intellectual movements led by such thinkers as Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault. But in France itself, this claim is actually seen by many as increasingly far-fetched. In fact, many French academics and writers now complain about the opposite phenomenon, claiming that French universities are now being taken over by critical race theory, intersectionality, and other American race-centered doctrines. My guest today, prominent French sociologist Nathalie Aynique, says that what we often call the excesses of French theory is now really an American export commodity. This month, Enique and other like-minded French academics created an organization to fight dogmas centered on decolonialism and identity politics that they regard as inapplicable to the French intellectual tradition. And this movement has a political dimension as well. In a recent speech, French President Emmanuel Macron attacked what he called certain social science theories imported from the United States. And his education minister described an intellectual matrix, in his words, involving not only what we typically call woke leftism, but also apologism for militant Islam. This French pushback against American progressive ideology was recently profiled in the New York Times, and, as my guest will discuss, is the subject of a new book by two lifelong French leftists, Stéphane Beau and Gérard Noiriel. Professor Nathalie Enique joined me over Skype from Paris, as you'll be able to tell from some of the Paris street sounds, including sirens. Here are excerpts from our conversation. French education minister recently said there is, in translated form, an intellectual matrix from American universities that he described as harmful. What did he mean by this intellectual matrix? In the academic world, in universities, etc., there is more and more a tendency to introduce uh, activist issues and to use courses, conferences, seminars, etc., as a place to express activist opinions and to, to implement some kind of activism, which I think is very present now in the American campuses, which has been the case in France too, but more during the 70s after May 68. And now it's beginning to come back this kind of activism within universities, not anymore as a kind of a communist way of putting things on a political way as it was maybe 40 years ago, but through issues such as the studies, gender studies, gay studies, colonial studies, and so on, which is a new, for us French people, it's, it's a new way to frame academic activities not around traditional intellectual disciplines such as philosophy, history, anthropology, sociology, etc., but according to 
political issues which are related to kinds of discriminations. So these political issues are quite relevant, quite legitimate in the public space as something you have to, to fight for as an activist. But our position is that inside the academic world, we are not paid to express our political opinions, whatever legitimate they are, but to produce and to, to transmit knowledge, scientific knowledge, and not ideologies or opinion. And, and we, we try to maintain the difference between these two domains. The confusion between activism, let's say, and academic activities is presently very much something we feel comes from North America. There's a certain irony here, of course. In North America, certainly if you ask conservative scholars about the encroachment of ideology in academia and in arts and letters more generally, often they will give you a speech about the effect of the French and postmodernism, Foucault and deconstructionism. Mm -hmm. Is this irony recognized in France that the stepchild of that movement with a more explicitly racial focus in North America has now been reverse exported back to France? So, uh, you know, I, I wrote a paper a few years ago where I explained that for us French, French theory is an American export commodity. No, so because we never speak of French theory and the authors who are included in this French theory are authors who are still studied in, in some departments, but they are for us, very old researchers, you know, it's 40 or 50 years ago. So it's not the uh, present time uh, research, which is focused on, on this kind of, of authors. And the, uh, the fact to put together the authors around this term of French theory is quite strange for us in France. We don't consider as a kind of package where there would be at the same time Foucault, Derrida, and so on, you know, uh, it, it's very rare to have this kind of references now in, in France. So uh, it's something which looks really American. There is a way to mix up these authors and to do something out of them, which is called postmodernism, which is quite outdated in France and considered as something really past, you know, out of fashion. <laughs> I never thought I'd say this, but it sounds like we need to listen to the French and reject Foucault. And yet I, I'm stuck by the fact that one aspect of this intellectual movement, I'm thinking in particular of Foucault's constant emphasis on, on power relationships, mm -hmm. as they're expressed, for instance, in colonial relationships, especially when combined with Marxism and post-colonial theory, the movements you see in the United States are, are all obsessed with power. Surely power relationships is something that is still studied. Yes, of course. It, of course, it is studied in France and it is studied uh, also uh, under the name of domination, domination, which comes from Bourdieu, who is uh, still much more influent today, I think. So oppression? No, Bourdieu is domination. Uh, oppression is more Marxist. Foucault is rather power and Bourdieu is rather domination. These things are all mixed up into one package in the North American political discussion. Yes, I know. It's, it's different in France. So, uh, of course, uh, it's quite present. It's very present. And all the more 
since the studies have introduced the idea that in social sciences, in arts and humanities, you should study mainly phenomena of discrimination, whatever the, the reason of discrimination. So this is extremely strong, but it is strong only in those departments who introduced, who imported the studies, the American studies. There are a lot of, fortunately, other places where this kind of issues are considered as first not very serious because mainly activists, and second, a little outdated because, for example, Norbert Elias's conception of interdependency appears to many of us much more interesting and productive than the notion of power. The notion of ambivalence is totally absent in all these studies centered on the power effects. And there are a lot of realities that cannot be studied if you are focused on power or domination. Exactly as 40 or 50 years ago, if you only used the concepts of alienation and oppression, as Marxists did, you could grasp part of reality, but there were a lot of domains that could not be really studied. Exactly the same today, you know, there is an, an incredible restriction, reduction of the space, the intellectual space, because of this incredible presence of the notion of power or domination, which are maybe concepts, but which are mostly slogans. From what I understand, racism in France is a serious problem, and maybe more serious in concrete terms than in North America. Would it be accurate to say that the movement to reject American dogmas about race and racism that those are separate from the recognition that racism is a, a real day-to-day -day problem for, for many people who are not white. Of course, racism is a problem in France. There are a lot of people who are racist, but I don't think we can put it on the same level as in the US because racism is illegal in France since the French Revolution. That is more than two centuries. What does that mean by racism is illegal? It means that regarding the state policies, uh, in, the, in the French constitution, all citizens are born equals. And so discriminating people on the basis of their race, for example, is illegal since two centuries and a half in French. Whereas in the US, still one generation ago, there was a legal discrimination. So the, the problem is quite different. It doesn't mean that there is no racism in France. The, the, the fact that peop, some people are racist is a reality, but the state is not. The law protects people from racism, and this is a reality which has been taken into account. And now a message from Blinkist, the app that distills the essence from over 4,000 best-selling non-fiction books and brings them to you in 15-minute text and audio explainers. As part of my job at Quillette, I need to be conversant about what books my readers and listeners are talking about, in part because a lot of the authors of those books end up on this podcast. But life is busy. Blinkist lets me dive into a topic quickly and find out how to deploy my reading time best. Blinkist also has teamed up with popular podcast creators to blink those podcasts for you too. 
And yes, the company uses the word blink as a verb like that. It's a thing. By blinking a podcast, using a feature called shortcasts, you can get to the heart of an episode quickly, complete with high quality audio. You can jump right in on the go during your commute, at the gym, around the house, or even download to listen offline. 15 million people are already using Blinkist to broaden their knowledge in 27 nonfiction categories, including self-improvement, personal growth, management, leadership, and mindfulness. And like I've told you before, the length of a typical Blinkist abridgment is just 15 minutes, about the length of time it takes me to walk my dog. Some of my recent favorites include The Mosquito, A Human History of Our Deadliest Predator by Timothy C. Weingard, Becoming by Michelle Obama, and The AI Economy by Roger Boodle. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Quillette to start your free 7-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Quillette to get 25% off and a 7-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash Quillette. And now, back to our podcast. Emmanuel Macron's attack on this intellectual matrix, it seems wrapped up with Islamism. I associate Islamism with social conservatism. What is the unifying principle, at least as the French political class imagines the threat, joining American ideas, highly progressive ideas, as they're imagined to be, about race with the call out on the threat of Islamism? This is a, a complex issue, but if I try to summarize, the problem with Islamism is that on one side, it is very near fascism because it is authoritarian, conservative, strongly religious, violent. It killed a lot of people in France, Islamism. It is anti-sex, it is sexist, anti-women. It is homophobe. So it has all the characteristics of an extreme right movement. But at the same time, it is tolerated or even protected by leftists in the name of the support to be given to dominated people. And as it comes from part of Muslims, of course, not all the Muslims, but the most radical Muslims, it tends to be more or less accepted or supported by a small fringe of the extreme left. But this is totally paradoxical, since you see feminists making alliances with Islamists in the name of the freedom of women to wear a veil, for example. You see people from the extreme left supporting organizations which are really Islamists. And this is what we call Islamogoshism, Islamogoshism, Islamoleftism. Is the unifying principle between those two groups hostility to the current political order? Yes, this could be one dimension, you know, of course. There's an old tradition in the radical sphere to be opposed to any kind of power, any kind of state institution. And so this revolutionary mood, which is in France very much imported from the tiermondisme. Uh, you understand tiermondisme? This was the early 60s, I think, but this was a, a huge movement connected to anti-colonialism. Yes, exactly. 
exactly. So there is this old leftist tradition of anti-colonialism, which find a new actuality, a renewal through the kind of alliance with Islamists. There is a new book that was mentioned in the New York Times article that uh, called Race et Sciences Sociales. The New York Times article suggests that it has made a big stir. Is it a long-form articulation of some of the ideas that Macron has been talking about? So it's a very interesting phenomenon. And Mariel and Beau are two historians and sociologists who are very near from the radical left, from Bourdieu, who is the figure of, let's say, radical left in the, in the academic world today. And in this book, they criticize the new young generation of decolonial studies who put race everywhere and who focus only on race issues, thus forgetting the social issues. So Beau and Noiriel try to put on the front of the debate to put back social classes, you know, uh, which is the old way of being a leftist teacher or researcher. And so they criticize this young sociologists, historians, researchers, social scientists who only see racial issues, uh, racial discriminations, uh, which is quite paradoxical because previously Beau and Noiriel were part of the extreme left movement. So it's a kind of internal division between the radical left and I have to say, it's a, a split also between two generations. And this is very symptomatic of what is happening now, at least in France. The old generation remains very near universalism values, universalist values, reading the world according to uh, social classes, whereas the newer generation is very much more sympathetic with a kind of communitarism, with identity politics, and with a focus on race. So the split is really, I think, partly, but mostly a um, generational split. From my very limited knowledge of Pierre Bourdieu, my understanding is that he emphasized that often judgments in society are based on, on social position. But surely issues of race and, and sexual orientation and identity more generally can be wrapped into our understanding of social position. Do you think that in the French intellectual class they can reconcile these two positions? The, the, the only possible reconciliation, I think, consists in pluralism, that is, accept the social world is complex, and if we want to describe it, understand it, analyze it, we have to use plurality of interpretations. And so when issues regarding social classes are relevant, we can use it. We can use this, this way to look at them. But when racial issues are relevant, when gender issues are relevant, we use them. But if we focus only on one kind of issues, be it social classes, gender, etc. Or if we want to demonstrate that in any context, one of these issues is more important than the others, then we do not do research anymore. We just do activism, ideology, because we want to demonstrate that there is 
something which is in which we believe and which is true and we don't want to see anything else than than this issue that we want to 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 foster so pluralism is the key for this reconciliation but if you speak with people who are mostly activists they will never accept pluralism I'm wondering, though, if maybe to some extent you think that some of this younger generation of race-conscious scholars may have a point. I learned while reading about this issue, it says the new director of the Paris Opera wants to ban blackface in performances, which which suggests to me that blackface is still something that at least occasionally makes an appearance in high culture in France. Maybe banning blackface might be a good idea, no? Well, this is typically an importation from North America because two years ago, nobody heard about blackface, you know. (laughs) This word entered our world very recently because it was introduced by uh, activists who are very much influenced by North American activists. So blackface is a very old tradition in theater, in the opera, which is a tradition of how do you say, so déguisé, which has always seemed to be something totally playful and without any kind of bad connotation. And it's only recently under the influence of American activists that some activists in France decided that these practices of disguisement, déguisement, disguisement, uh, should be considered as something uh, offensive. These traditions were created in a certain context. For example, in the 17th or 18th century, where black people were so rare, and this tradition remains. And I think nobody until recently would ever see any kind of problem in this tradition. We talk in North America about cancel culture. Have Bo and Noiriel, the authors of this book, have they faced any cancel culture attempts? Oh, I don't know, because the book has been published only very recently, so I don't know. Oh, but here in North America, often people get cancelled even before the book comes out. (laughs) Fortunately, in France, the cancel culture is not yet dominant, and I hope it won't become dominant. You have to know that cancel culture comes from a very different uh, legal situation in North America, Freedom of expression in in North America is an absolute value which is guaranteed by the state. The state cannot pass laws against freedom of expression. And so the, the regulation of speech in the public space can be done only by citizens. And so you have groups of citizens, parties and so on, who say this is unacceptable, we won't accept it, and this becomes cancel culture. Whereas in France, uh, we have laws which constrain freedom of expression. You are not allowed to say things which are discriminatory, which are insults, and so on. And if you do this, you can be sued. And so the law is the protection and not the citizens, which means that censorship in France can be implemented only by institutions, by the state. And so it is very different. So for us, cancel culture is perceived as the citizens who authorize themselves to regulate public expression outside the laws, which is for us totally 
illegitimate. It means for us, cancel culture is censorship by citizens, which is totally contrary to our laws and to our uh, customs. In France, censorship is something which is implemented by the state and the laws under very strict conditions. And this protects the freedom of expression. Well, that's an interesting way of looking at it, is that by legitimizing certain forms of state censorship, I guess this is your argument, that you actually prevent greater censorship by maybe mobs of self-organized people. Mm-hmm. The idea of cancel culture being a kind of escape valve for people who want to censor things, but they can't do it through the state, so instead they do it on their own. Your system maybe sounds more orderly, and uh, it sounds like you prefer it. Of course, of course, because laws are protective. Laws protect freedoms, because the mob is not protective of freedom. (laughs) If you're a regular listener to the Quillette podcast, you'll be familiar with BetterHelp, one of our original advertisers. Well, thanks to everything that's happened since early 2020 and the stresses that the pandemic has put on everyone, the online therapy services at BetterHelp are more relevant and in demand than ever. BetterHelp will help you unlock the tools you need to help with motivation, depression, anxiety, battling your temper, stress, dealing with insecurity in relationships or at work, whatever you need. Especially at a time like this, no one should be anxious about admitting that they're going through normal human struggles, because you deserve to be happy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. And you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't feel comfortable doing so. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. And Quillette Podcast listeners get 10% off their first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash Quillette. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Quillette. Thanks to BetterHelp for their sponsorship. And now back to the Quillette podcast. Many of the people who have the most moral authority to push back against this ideological matrix, as your education minister calls it, they are people who are themselves black or maybe Muslims. Has Macron found allies among people of color? Of course, of course. There are a lot of Muslims who are totally antagonists to Islamism and who are who ask French people to protect them from Islamism. And fortunately, <laughs> among in Arabic or black intellectuals, it's not at all a division between communities. There is no division between white and black or uh, Arabic community. We have divisions between ideologies. And so the main division today is between what we call universalism and what we call communitarism. Universalism means considering that people have to be considered as having the same rights and belonging to the same humanity or to the same nation, and that no individual should have rights because he's a member of a community. Communitarism insists on identities, on belonging to communities, and on the fact that belonging to a community should give you some right. And so this is a very, very deep 
split in France now, especially within the academic world, where identity politics, what we call identitarism, identitarism, and the focus, the obsession with gender identities, uh, sexual identities, racial identities, religious identities, etc., begins to be something very present in the universities, whereas maybe five years ago, it, it was much less present. And this is the, the main fight today in the intellectual world. My last question, I'm going to ask you about something completely different, maybe not completely different because of the subject of the show. Here among my friends and family, there's a French show, well, here it's called Lupin, about a gentleman burglar on Netflix. Uh, I think the actor is called Omar Sy. Ah oui, Arsène Lupin, Omar Sy. It's, it's quite a sensation here in North America, even though I find the, <laughs> the voice dubbing is terrible, but for some reason people really like it. Is this a popular show in France? Oh, I just don't know because I haven't seen it. I'm not sure it has been, uh, it has been broadcasted yet. I'm not sure. I don't have Netflix. I'm sorry. So uh, I, I've heard of it, but I'm not sure it has been uh, uh, shown in France yet. Yet another French concept that we will have to re-export back to you, I think. <laughs> uh, and by the way, uh, since you're a French intellectual, I, I would have been disappointed if you had Netflix. So, <laughs> Sociologist Nathalie Enic, thank you so much for being on the Quillette podcast. Okay, thanks to you. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to Quillette.com where you'll find more content.